What impact will industry consolidation and technology have on the wireless workforce? Stay tuned as we talk to Martha DeGrasse, who recently published a report on trends in wireless infrastructure. Thank you. Nexius, accelerating network and business transformation. Telecom Careers, the number one global telecom and wireless job board. Telecomcareers.com. Welcome to another episode of Inside Telecom Careers. Today we're going to focus on consolidation in the, on the industry as well as uh, technology changes. Uh, we have Martha DeGrasse, who recently published a report on wireless infrastructure trends. Martha, thanks for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. Well, before we dive into the report, let's kind of recap some of this week's big news. Uh, first of all, it's a big week for devices. We'll talk about some of those things. Number two, uh, Comscope is continuing their acquisition spree with buying Irvana on the heels of acquiring TE uh, connectivity. Nokia announced um, the launch of a gigabit small cell radio. And then uh, finally last week, Sprint announced investing another $150 million in the Chicago market with plans to hire another 1,000 people. But let's talk a minute about some of these device uh, stories this week. We, we, we can't go a week without talking about Apple, but um, there were rumors last week that Samsung was going to be laying off over 10,000 people. They have since denied that rumor and said they're just going to be doing a hiring freeze. Uh, Apple and Samsung launched new devices. HTC was delisted from the uh, Taiwan Stock Exchange. Um, what, what do you make? Oh, and I forgot to mention, BlackBerry also acquired Good Technologies, which is a um, mobile device management company, and um, I think for over $400 million. So right. what's that, happening? What do you think in, in devices? Well, yeah, the BlackBerry, you know, I, I don't see that so much as about devices. I think that's more about, you know, getting BlackBerry to be able to offer mobile security solutions outside of the BlackBerry, you know, ecosystem. Now they can yeah. offer Android. So I think that'll be great for them. But getting to the devices, you know, I think it's great news that Samsung isn't laying people off. It's certainly, you know, they can afford to, to hold on in the device area mm -hmm. much longer, for example, than HTC can or, or some of those smaller Android competitors. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm, I'm not surprised that they're, that they're going to stick it out. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with their new device. Certainly they have been losing market share to Apple over the past year, and Apple's got the new iPhone success. I think the most interesting thing about the iPhone launch is the, is the leasing option. Yeah. You know, um, they're making that iPhone as, as affordable, really, as an Android for most people. That's interesting. Um, you know, th there have been stories written this week about Apple taking on the carriers in terms of really wrestling control of the customer by offering the phone leasing directly. So again, it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out because if, if a customer can pay the same amount for the phone from Apple directly as they can from the carrier, who are they going to go to? So time yeah, will tell. You know, the, the, in some ways the carriers love it. I mean, one of the biggest tweeters of, of that news was Marcelo Clowry, you know? So I, I think that, you know, anything that, that gets people upgrading their devices more, coming into the store more is, is good news for the, for the carriers. Well, at the uh, PCIe Wireless Infrastructure Show earlier this week, the, the analyst there was an analyst there um, talking about the, the drag of on earnings and cash flow of the device subsidies, and talked a lot about the revenue recognition associated with those uh, uh, rental agreements or leasing agreements. So I think we should stay tuned and and watch the impact on Apple's balance sheet of financing the phones, and then keep an eye on the uh, carrier balance sheets to see what it means. The carrier balance sheets, yeah. I mean, I think Apple's balance sheet is, is a little bit stronger, but yeah, yeah, all of them are interesting. You know, I read an st interesting story this morning on uh, a review about the new iPhone tablet. Uh -huh. It has a pencil in it, 
stylus. Yeah. Stylus. Well, yeah. they called it a pencil. Okay. And uh, Steve Jobs, six, seven years ago, hated the concept of a stylus. He said that it really should be about the user experience and mm-hmm. you know being able to touch the phone and, and, and the iPad, et cetera. So it's a little bit interesting that the, the Apple devices now have a stylus attached to them. Um, the writer of the story talked about uh, the big difference between then and now is the fact that the, the screen, it's just a completely different experience. And you can start using an iPad for more work situations. And so where a, a, a stylus comes in handy, particularly the way they design the stylus with uh, near or no latency. Right, well, again, they're, they're kind of following Samsung's lead. You know, Samsung went to the bigger screens, Apple went to the bigger screens. Samsung had a stylus a couple years ago, now Apple does. And they, they do need to, you know, get into the workplace. They're making these deals with Cisco, with IBM, but now they need to have the devices that are ready for the workplace as well, you know? Yep, you know, one more story about the, the uh, Amazon announced they were gonna kill their fire device. Uh, did they the announce same, it or did they just quietly stop selling it? I don't maybe know. Maybe so. And then they're coming out with a $50 mm-hmm. kind of trimmed down a tablet. Uh, yeah. tablet. So, uh, uh, I, and they, they announced that uh, I guess some of the R&D folks at Amazon weren't too happy about kind of switching gears within the device division. So uh, stay tuned. But let's move on to the, the Comscope acquisition of Airvana and uh, talk a little bit about the Nokia acquisition or announcement of the gigabit small cell radio. What do you make of those announcements? Well, you know, they're all they're all good news for small cells. I think that a lot of these infrastructure players are are looking at ways to try to make small cells work for carriers mm-hmm. cuz for years we've been hearing that small cells are going to take off right, you know, any minute and it just hasn't happened and it's because of the, you know, the different expenses, not just the equipment, but also, you know, the the backhaul, the power, etc. So, um, you know, getting back to what you asked about, you know, Ervana is, is a really smart, I think, a smart acquisition for Comscope because it's a, it's a less expensive alternative usually for a venue than a distributed antenna system. So now Comscope has a new tool in, in its toolkit that it can offer to some of these venues and to the, to the carriers that might be, you know, bringing connectivity to these venues. Mm-hmm. And then How about the, the Nokia radio? To me, what was the most interesting about that was the, the three RF slots. Uh, they were saying that carriers can can use it for three LTE bands, carry mm-hmm. aggregation, or they could use it for LTE, LTE in unlicensed spectrum and Wi-Fi. So they're really hedging their bets because nobody knows exactly how things are going to play out as far as whether the unlicensed spectrum is going to be used, you know, more for LTE or not, how carry aggregation is going to play out. But Nokia is kind of ready for whatever with, with this small cell. Well, it looks like Chicago is going to be the test bed of a lot of these new technologies. As you mentioned, SAC Wireless, which Nokia acquired, is headquartered there. Uh, uh, Folks, if you missed our Inside Telecom Edition a couple weeks ago, we interviewed Don Bach, who is Vice President of Engineering and Operations for SAC Wireless. So he talked about their uh, engine room, uh, which is now branded Nokia Engine Room. Um, Check that video out. And then next week on this show, we're actually going to have Tracy Nolan, who is Sprint's president of the Midwest region. So she's going to tell us about where that money is going to go, what types of technologies they're going to be testing and deploying. And they're also going to be talking about some of the new hires they're going to be making around the retail stores, field techs, and engineering. But uh, you mentioned the... uh, the engine room. What what do you know about it? Is it a room? Is it a uh, does it fly? What, what yeah, is it? Yeah, it took me a long time too. It's not a room. It's a, it's actually a database now for Nokia. It's a database that carriers can use to look at those possible places that they might want to deploy a small cell, and they can evaluate uh, the leasing cost, 
the availability of power, the availability of fiber for backhaul, and of course the RF specs. So it's, it's all there, and they can assign a site value index. So it really is meant to make it all a little bit more affordable for the carriers. Well, one more announcement <laughs> this week uh, out of CTI. Ericsson made an acquisition around um, uh, video compression and, and encoding, yeah. encoding and, and that, that's a nice segue into the content business and I'm going to take a little bit of a leap into the cable industry here uh, because they are in the content distribution and creation business. Uh, the cable industry recently came out with a report and guys if we could pull up that asset on the, uh, uh, the cable <laughs> industry report it's all about the economic impact the cable industry is having on jobs. Um, We've got a, a, a second slide that shows uh, that $384 billion has been invested by the cable companies since 1992. They, uh, 2.7 million jobs exist in the cable industry, and they've added 1.2 million in uh, the last 13 years. So, you know, the, the cable industry is, is they've got their toe in the, in the wireless space. They've got tens of thousands of Wi-Fi hotspots. We've got one from Time Warner Cable right outside our door here. Every time I come in the office, open up my browser, and they want me to join that hotspot. So, you know, they're, they're a threat there in terms of uh, uh, content distribution, content anywhere. You look at AT&T now integrating DirecTV and coming up with new bundles. So what, what do you make of kind of the cable company and uh, uh, how they're, and by the way, we got a third slide. Let me pull up the third slide on the cable industry. They uh, say they offer uh, 100 million people across 50 states 30 megabits per second of service, which is kind of interesting given that the wireless industry and mobile industry is now talking about theoretical speeds of a gig on a mobile phone. So where do you see the cable industry shaking out here in the wireless world? You know, from a workforce perspective, I think that it all kind of converges because you know, like you say, the cable industry is hitting Wi-Fi really, really hard. They're looking for those IT skill sets and uh, the wireless industry, you know, sort of the same. When they talk about these small cells, they're looking for people with these IT-related skill sets that can actually go into the buildings and pull cable, not, you know, and so for, for workforce issues, I think that, um, yeah, there's, there's competition, but if, you know, if you're able to offer these IT skill sets to these companies, I think you're in good shape. Yeah, we met, I uh, had lunch with some of the HR folks from Time Warner Cable here in Austin, and they're planning to hire 60 uh, field techs by the end of the year. So again, they're pushing deeper into their network with fiber, and then pushing into Wi-Fi routers. So uh, that's exactly the same skill that you're seeing uh, AT&T and some of the carriers need, and, and go, go back to SAC Wireless. If they're deploying these networks, turnkey solutions that include site acquisition, installation and, and acceptance architecture, the architecture they need a lot of the same types of people so you got the cable industry mobile industry that are both can be competing for the same type of field resources yeah it's interesting i was talking this summer with with ericsson uh and greg rogers is a great person to talk to at ericsson and he spends a lot of time thinking about workforce issues and he said really you know the the rf skill sets are as important as ever we still need those rf skill sets to design the networks on the front end and to optimize them at the end but in the middle we need those it skill sets to actually install those networks in building got it well let's uh, jump into your um, wireless infrastructure service company report uh, we've got a slide uh, it's a great looking report on the outside but uh, tell us a little bit about what's on the inside what are some of the key takeaways maybe starting with um, you mentioned earlier this this uh, on the show that this year wasn't a particularly great year for the infrastructure service companies. So what yeah, do you mean by that? I think things are starting to look up just in the in the month or so since we published this report. We've, we're beginning to hear more about hiring, 
but uh, 2015 was was not the best year. It's uh, you know sort of one of those situations where carrier spending really had an impact, and certainly the the wireless infrastructure companies rely on on all the carriers, but uh, Verizon and AT&T are the two biggest spenders, and AT&T is a more cyclical spender than Verizon. So when AT&T is at the top of a wave, as it was in 2014, the first half, it's great news for, for a lot of people. And then when, when AT&T sneezes, a lot of other companies catch pneumonia, a lot of smaller companies. So we did see a lot of, of pain in the industry during late 2014, early 2015. Some of the smaller players were actually acquired by, by bigger companies as they may not have had the financial resources to weather mm -hmm. um, a, a, you know, a, a slowdown, really. But, but things are improving now. We're hearing more reports about hiring. Um, but it was hard in the beginning of 2015 because at the same time that you had AT&T you know, focusing more on its DirecTV acquisition and its yeah. Mexico acquisitions, you also had towers consolidating. AT&T had already sold its towers to Crown, and then Verizon sold its towers to American Towers. So a lot of these companies that had previously supported AT&T and Verizon for their tower businesses, they didn't really have as much work to do, and, and they didn't need as many people anymore because Crown and American Tower had their own resources that they that they used, you know. And then again, when you had these, these smaller infrastructure service providers being purchased by some of the bigger ones, that can also lead to a little bit of headcount reduction. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So in 2013, 2014, you had the big four carriers deploying their LTE. Right. Those m massive builds were kind of tapering off and, and being completed. 2015, we expected to see a lot of small cell, but didn't. AT&T had announced doing a lot of small cell, but you're right, they got distracted with the uh, uh, DirecTV acquisition, the um, uh, Mexico acquisition. Uh, but I think if we're reading the tea leaves right, 2016 could be the year for more massive um, small cell type deployments. It seems like the economics are getting better, not only in terms of the way they design, build, and operate small cell networks, the technology is better just the methodologies by which they can acquire those sites and operate those sites are better. The other thing goes back to devices at the start of the show. If they're not having to subsidize devices, that also frees up cash to be reallocated more to their network densification. That's a great point. And you know, they've, they've freed up cash by selling their towers as well. And it, yeah, it, it does. It all goes back to investing in the network because they have already spent billions on spectrum. They need to deploy it. So. Yeah. Well, secondly, uh, on, on a positive note, uh, the industry truly <coughs> responded to a lot of the tower deaths that we saw in 2013 and 2014, and I think that was caused largely by just the, the sheer number of deployments yeah. required new people coming in yeah. that weren't properly trained, and unfortunately we saw a real peak in, in tower uh, climber fatalities. This year you saw PCIe come back strong and Nate come back strong with safety programs. What can you share with us about whether or not those programs are having an impact? I think they're definitely having an impact. You know, uh, this summer, as you know, the Texas State Wireless Association met here at RCR Studios. First thing they did before they started their party was have a safety meeting. So I thought that was very telling. And and beyond just the you know the focus on safety, I think that there are some actual changes taking hold from a technical perspective that are making a difference. Specifically. Um, field software is out there to document safety auditors, safety procedures, and you know the cell towers enable smartphones. Well, the techs have their smartphones, and yep. they can send in a report on their safety procedure before they climb the tower. So that's yep. a big difference because before, I think that there was you know an, uh, 
opportunity to speed things up by getting the work done and then filing the report. So if you were going to say, oh, well, we really don't have everything we need from a safety equipment perspective, we really don't have all our hard hats, whatever. Well, it doesn't matter that you're reporting that after the climb. Hopefully everything went okay, but if it didn't, it's too late. But if you have to report that before the climb, if that has to be sent in beforehand, which it is now with more mobile technology, and I'm not saying that's everywhere, but we are starting to hear about that. So I think that's gonna make a really big difference. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. It does go back to your earlier comment about the economics of deploying networks is just fundamentally getting better, and they have to be better in order for companies to invest in, in network densification. Um, you know, 2013, 2014, when there was a mad rush to deploy LT and cover as many POPs as possible, I would hear stories in Canada and the U.S. where companies were hired, system integrators were hired to go do a deployment, and then when the operations side of a carrier would try to accept the network, they do the test and turn up of the, the, the actual acceptance of the network, the networks weren't performing. And so they'd have to turn around and send crews back to the site. And the, this whole notion of a tiger team, two-man team to go back to a tower for a day to fix issues that weren't done properly the first time. So as the carriers look at small cell deployments where you have tens, tens of thousands of sites in a market, uh, you simply can't afford to go back and do it twice or three times. You have to get it right the first time. So to your point about which light post has the best ROI, yeah, how much is it truly going to cost to get the electric there, get the power there, to mount the radio there in terms of servicing the customers and impacting ARPU and churn in that city block? So Chicago is going to be an interesting case, test case to see are the economics right? And then you may see uh, more widespread deployments, but field software could have an impact coupled with the design software to make sure you got the site right the first time. Yeah. Yeah, I think Chicago, San Francisco, New York, and Boston are the markets to watch this year. Verizon's already well underway in San Francisco, getting ready for the Super Bowl. And then um, Verizon's also spoken about New York and Boston as two markets where they didn't acquire the spectrum they wanted in the most recent auction, and they're going to densify their networks instead with small cells. Yeah, that's another good point. You, you talk about Chicago. Uh, Sprint by way of the Clearwire acquisition picked up a lot of 2.5 spectrum. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, we haven't seen any massive deployments of the 2.5 spectrum. It's out there, the propagation is not as great, but for, for going through walls and long distances, but it could work very well to fit into the caverns between high-rise buildings. Yeah. Um, I think it was either AT or T, AT&T or Verizon announced that they're gonna start using their AWS 2.3 spectrum. There again, the propagation is very similar to the 2.5 spectrum could be very good for back hall or the front hall uh, of a network. Uh, do you have any insight on kind of the 2.3, 2.5 spectrum? No, not really, but we do hear a lot about, about testing in those higher frequencies. You know, National Instruments is here in yeah. town. They talk to us a lot about that. So I think that that all argues in favor of small cells because those really do leverage those higher frequencies. Well, speaking of small cell, uh, your report talked about small cell and DAS deployments. Um, are the same companies that build the towers being hired to deploy these, these new technologies? They hope to be, yes. And in many cases they are, SAC Wireless being a great example. Um, it, again, it's about those skill sets. Uh, if, you're, if all you can offer is tower climbers, then you might not get you know, a DAS job. So it's really about those, those in-building technicians, those IT skill sets, Ethernet, and of course fiber as well. But um, really having those individuals that, that are um, able to work indoors is, is key for these companies if they want to stay relevant mm -hmm. with the move to, to densify networks. Well, I'm glad you brought up Ethernet 
Sean Kinney, our managing editor, is going to be interviewing the father, Bob Metcalf, uh, Bob Metcalf of uh, the inventor of the uh, of the uh, Ethernet. He's going to be here in our speaker lounge on the 21st. Uh, folks Fantastic. can. Uh, tune in live and watch the live stream or you can come by the studio and watch it in person we're going to have lunch here for folks but it's uh, i think noon on monday 21st. the 21st mm -hmm. so please tune in for bob metcalf thanks for that uh, ethernet plug um one of the slides that caught my attention in your report and if guys if you can bring up that slide that talks about the the growth of macro towers and now the growth of cell sites but yeah. maybe start by explaining the difference between towers and sites well, you do see those diverging, according to analyst projections, in the years in the years ahead. And you know, a cell site can be a rooftop, or it can be a light post, or you know, um, it can be even on a piece of street furniture. You know, a park bench, anything, any place that you know there's there's um, enough, um, not not too much interference, and that um, mm. the the carriers feel that they can get the power in the backhaul, which is always you know. Sometimes, actually, that's a big unknown, and we do hear a lot about um, carriers identifying what they think is a perfect site only to get there and find out that they have to trench or that there's a gas pipeline there or there's a traffic light there or there's something else, and suddenly, you know, their costs are skyrocketing or maybe they're just abandoning the whole project. Yeah. So we hear about that, but less and less because I think that the companies that are really, really eager to sell small cells to the carriers are learning that they have to, you know, um, facilitate the whole process by helping carriers gather the information they need. Mm -hmm. So, Martha, you've been with RCR a number of years now. What you've written this infrastructure report a couple different times. What are the big ahas for you as you revisited infrastructure service companies this year? What kind of summarized for our viewers what uh, stood out in your mind? It's becoming a much more professionalized industry. It was. It was. Um, it is and, and remains a really entrepreneurial industry. I don't think that's going away, but the the very small companies are you know finding opportunities to get together with bigger players, and and that is leading to more professionalization. So the companies are more likely to be able to have access to something like a training tower, or mm -hmm. to have uh, access to standardized training. As you yep. know, um, PCIA is really pushing this standardized training for the wireless workforce. So, you know, the larger companies are more likely to be plugged into that. So that, to me, was what stood out the most this year. Good. Well, um, folks, you can download the report by visiting RCR Wireless News. Look for the Reports tab at the top of the page. Here's a picture of what the report looks like. Um, also, if we could show the uh, supplier guide in the back, I think there's a 40-page supplier guide that tracks all the service companies in the industry. Great so if resource, you're looking yeah. for um, um, service companies in different regions of the country, uh, check out the supplier guide. And, and Martha, thank you uh, so much for joining us this week. Um, join us next week. Again, same time, same channel, Thursday, 10 o'clock Central Time. We're going to have Tracy Nolan, who's president of Sprint's Midwest region. She's going to be talking specifically about the $150 million investment that they're making in Chicago. She's going to be talking about small cell DAS and hiring. Martha, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Inside Telecom Careers is a production of RCR TV News. Right. To reach Jeff Mucci or to suggest a show topic for Inside Telecom Careers, you can reach him at jmucci at rcrwireless.com. For all telecom-related news and information, please visit rcrwireless.com. To connect with the industry's top talent, please visit telecomcareers.net.